care about your people more than the results, and they will do everything that they humanly can to make your business work. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 89 of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we help make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profit. And here, we believe that can only happen through care, connection, belonging, and trust, the way every human being was designed to experience work. My guest today is Dr. Jim Lair. Jim is a world-renowned performance psychologist and the author of 17 books, including his most recent, Leading with Character. He is also the co-author of the national bestseller, The Power of Full Engagement. From his more than 30 years of experience in applied research, Jim believes the single most important factor in successful achievement, personal fulfillment, and life satisfaction is the strength of one's character. I could not agree more, hence why he's on the show today. And through his research, Jim has found that character can be developed in the same way that you build your muscles, and that is through energy investment. Jim has worked with hundreds of world-class performers from the arenas of sports, business, medicine, law enforcement, including Fortune 100 executives, FBI hostage rescue teams, and military special forces. It's a great honor to have you on the show, Jim. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you, Marcel. I'm very excited to be here, and I hope I create some value for your listeners. I know you will. And we always start the episode with a gratitude moment. And the question I love asking my guests just to kick off the show on a good note, Jim, is what makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? Well, you know, as I've gotten older, I realize that every day is so precious. When I wake up, I go, oh, my goodness, I've got another chance to uh, maybe <laughs> do something important here. I, that wasn't the end. When you go to sleep, you never know whether you're going to wake up. And so when I wake up, I have a smile saying, uh, you know, let's do something. I've got an opportunity to do something important today. Let's make a difference. And that gives me a big smile. It makes my heart sing. Yeah. Well, it makes me smile because I, I know the, the the work that you're doing, Jim, is so important. And I wanted to get the listeners a little bit acquainted with what you do. And what would you say is your purpose for the work that you do? What is your why? It's a great question. I uh, Every day I continue to mine that territory because we found with all the work that we did at the Human Performance Institute over almost three decades, that that is the driving force. That's the most important thing. And for me, I really want to make use of this extraordinary gift that I have been granted through no fault of my own or any effort of my own or anything else. I just showed up and I want to return the gift if I can. I really Mm. want, I've come to understand that my life really isn't mine. You know, my life this was a gift and I get fulfillment when I give it away. And the more I give it away, the more I feel like I'm doing something that I should be doing with this gift. And so the whole idea of my life is to, is to make a difference and to try to be the, the best researcher and the best advancer of understanding and knowledge that will help other human beings to fulfill their mission. And that will help me fulfill mine. I simply Mm want to 
be an agent in their life so that they can find more fulfillment and do great things for others. That's great, Jim. You have, you have served us well with your work. So the book is called Leading with Character, 10 Minutes a Day to a Brilliant Legacy. So let's start from the top. Why this book? Why, why now? It was an accident. I can tell you that. I never, when I went through school, all my, deg- my degrees advanced and undergraduate and so forth in psychology, I was never told character was anything that I would be interested in because it was more philosophy. I'm a data guy and I love research. I love applied research and I love to follow the numbers. And we, over the years, we began to realize that it's health that ignites performance. We realized that all these people that were coming to the Institute from all these diverse fields, these extraordinary performers, that all we were doing in, in our efforts to help them was to help them get to understand how to get healthier. And health is physical, it's emotional, it's mental, and it's spiritual, spiritual Mm. health. And so we began to look at which of those contributed the most to the success of a human being and which were the most essential. And we began to realize something that was a major, major insight from the data. We developed first physically and then emotionally, socially, and then mentally and cognitively. And the last part of who we become is this ethical and moral dimension. And we learned, though, that we become extraordinary as human beings and do things that virtually no one else can do by starting at the top, by starting with a spiritual dimension, character, purpose, values, and ethics. And that was the beginning of our exploration for 10 years into the character space, into the notion of purpose and why that's so important and what's the research of others around that. And then we started opening the door to what is character? You know, what can people do to improve character? It's such a huge part of being a sustained success in life. What do we do about that? So we spent 10 years developing a program and we piloted it with some very, very prestigious leaders that were basically across the globe. And that's what leading with character is all about. It's a program, in the, it's a journaling program it's a two-volume series, and there's a scripted journal that actually takes you through that program, and that was the culmination of 10 years. It was an accident. That's what mm. is surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into that journaling bit because the book comes with the accompanying journal as well, but I don't want to give that away yet. But what I want to do is I want to play a little devil's advocacy with you, okay, right off the bat here, because a lot of people might say character, yeah, that's kind of overrated. I mean, we've seen some of the most powerful people on the planet in politics and business rise to the highest levels of leadership without exhibiting character traits. So in year 2021, here we are, does character still matter and, and, and why? Again, that's a great question, Marcel, and something that drove me to lots of sleepless nights uh, yeah. trying to understand, you know, how does this work? If it's such a big contributor, why are there so many people who are such astonishing successes that virtually have holes in their character big enough for an 18-wheeler to drive through. (laughs) What we began to realize that character really comes in two types. One of them is called performance character, which helps you drive extraordinary achievement. And those are things like focus, like discipline, like ambition. There's a, a very strong component. These are competencies that actually help you to drive success in an extrinsic way, great accomplishments. 
And then there's this other category of competencies that I call ethical and moral competencies. And these actually, the performance character drives what we do and the ethical moral category of competencies drives how we do it. So the moral and ethical defines your competencies as they relate to your treatment of other human beings. So mm -hmm. things like caring, loving, trustworthy, integrity, your ability to be grateful, humble, those which we often refer to as soft kind of competencies or soft strengths rose to the top of what we learned were the ingredients of a great sustained legacy. And that if you compromise one just to get to the top and don't have the others, it's probably going to be a very short journey at the top. Mm. You're going to be discovered eventually. And the thing that was so interesting was that you can have a boatload of performance character strengths that help you achieve and virtually, you know, a very, very small number of the ethical and moral. Right. And you can have a lot of ethical and moral strengths and don't really become an extraordinary high achiever, but you still have the respect of others because of the way you treat them and the way you interact with them. Yeah. So for my listeners, again, to pay attention here, because we're talking about competencies, Jim. And competencies are things that you can learn. That's not innate in us. Anyone can learn the both the well both sides of the coin here, right? The performance side of character and the moral ethical side of character. Am I right? That's absolutely true. We said, what what difference does it make if these are not acquired, you know, later on in life? If you get that, it really doesn't make any difference. That our destiny is pretty much set in cement. But we've known for a long time that a lot of the performance competencies are acquired, your ability to increase your focus, to become more disciplined, to actually be more goal-oriented, to increase your ambition, your drive, your grit. We have a lot of evidence that those competencies can be increased. So the question we had at our research institute and in the applied side, we really wanted to know, well, what can people do to build the capacity for caring, yeah. for humility, for trust, for honesty. And we learned that those are built in the exact same way we build a bicep, we build a quadricep. Mm. It requires the focus, investment persistently of energy. Energy is what spawns life, whether you're giving it into your bicep or quadricep, or whether you're giving it to your ability to stay focused, calm, mental toughness, tough thinking in the performance side, or your ability to be grateful, your ability to care for others, to empathize with what's going on, to have compassion. These can be worked just like muscles of the body can be worked and you get great results. So if you wanna become more compassionate, if you wanna become more gracious, if you wanna become more patient, if you wanna become more courageous morally in your decision-making, we can make that happen. All we have to do is find ways to invest energy consistently in that dynamic and it will grow. Yeah, okay, we're gonna do that in a minute, but I wanna talk about, let me backtrack and say that I do a lot of work with training leaders to become servant leaders, right? And there mm -hmm. are so many misconceptions right off the bat that I have to, that I basically have to tell them, you know, these are lies or misconceptions and this is what you are being fed to believe, but they're not true that servant leaders are doormats. Servant leaders are subservient right. to their employees, right? Servant leaders are soft. <laughs> well, 
I'm almost guessing that there's a lot of overlap with uh, leading with character as well. But in your own words, what, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about leading with character? Well, it has been kind of the, the story, which I think is a misrepresentation of the truth, that if you show compassion, if you are a very caring person and you're the CEO or you're a, a leader of a group that's you're trying to attain great things, those are actually weaknesses. They actually represent kind of flaws in your armor as you have to be very tough in today's world. And those simply complicate your mission and they don't add anything except agony for you and probably forestall the inevitable. You might have to lay off a bunch of people or furlough them because of the pandemic. Yeah. And if you are, you know, heartbroken about it, or if you, sh you know, you, it may make your decision a lot more difficult. You need to be just tough minded, make the right decisions and keep marching forward. That is a tragic, tragic misrepresentation of reality. To be a great leader, you have to have those performance character strengths, such as being tough minded, being analytical, being very decisive in what you're doing. But you also have to have the ability to really understand the consequences to you and others of your decisions in terms of how you impact, how you're treating others, the way in which you let them go, how you deal with them on a daily basis. I will tell you that the thing that impresses me the most is the research on employee engagement, which I'm sure you're very aware of. The single most important dynamic in a, an employee's life is uh, the extent to which their supervisor or their boss it is perceived that they care about them as a human being more than they care about them in terms of the contributions they make to the company. They are a person and they're giving their life and soul to this job. And we would love to know that you really acknowledge and represent in some way that I matter to you. Yeah. You care about me as a human being. And when that happens, I drive deeper into my soul and I'm going to give you more. I will give you more of the right stuff from my body if I sense you care about me as a person, and I'll endure your tough-mindedness, I'll endure the tough decisions you have to make, even if I don't agree with them, but I have a sense that you really care about me as a human being, and that is the difference maker in my ability to follow you as a leader. Yeah, my definition of employee engagement, they usually say out loud in, in speaking engagements and in my courses that employee engagement basically is the emotional an intellectual commitment that an employee has to an organization's goals and objectives. And, you know, there's so much psychology behind what we're talking about. So I want to get in a little bit of, get into the, the psychology. I love, that's what we're psychology geeks here, Jim. That's why I like bringing <laughs> people like you on the show. I've had so many neuroscientists also on the show. What are some of the, the psychological reasons as to why leaders fail for ethical and moral reasons. Are there some factors involved? Well, that's another great question and something we have pursued for a very long time. Research has identified, and I list all 25, a minimum of 25 in the book, what we call flaws in the moral machinery that we all bring to this moral decision and ethical decision-making process. We are flawed. We are all vulnerable to a number of glitches in our moral reasoning that can literally hijack our ability to make good, solid decisions. And these are, for the most part, operating out of our awareness. We're not even aware that they are happening, but we came into this world 
If I ask you, and we ask hundreds and hundreds of leaders, where did you get this moral source code that you're using, that you're referencing when you decide I'm going to do this or not do this, which has ethical or moral consequences? And most people say, you know, I don't even know. It just kind of shows up. It seems like that's kind of the result of where I am today. I don't know exactly where it came from. And then we start showing them how many ways this system can be hijacked. And they begin to realize that they're going to have to do a lot of hard work. And that's what the book is about, is trying to override and actually patch up as much as we possibly can. A lot of these things like motivated reasoning. If you are motivated to end up with a particular conclusion, you tend to look at facts that support that and tend to overlook and completely disregard things that actually are not consistent with what you really want. I'm motivated to get to this place. And so I find a way in a very innocuous in my own way, it's just like, you know, I knew this was true and and anything that contradicts it, I kind of reject. There are all kinds of, and other things that we were, maybe we're in an environment where there's been a lot of ethical problems and you just become numb to them. We call it ethical numbing. You just, it doesn't even bother you anymore. It used to bother you when you would see it. Now you see it all the time and it's part of your culture. And that is affecting your ability to make a good, clear decision about what's right or wrong in this environment. And particularly in terms of what you're doing. Now you're doing the very same thing You feel no guilt. You feel no remorse because it's kind of like there's this thing about authority that if someone else tells us to do something or conformity, we want to conform to what everyone else is doing. All of these very powerful influencers can undermine our ability to make the right decisions at the right time. And that may have catastrophic consequences if we don't get it right to our businesses, to our character, to our legacy, and to our families. So the book is all about how do we fix those glitches and how do we make sure we're getting it right when it's important? Yeah, that's good, Jim. So I want to mention uh, that the book comes with an accompanying journal that this is really important to point out. And I'm really intrigued by this because I do a lot of journaling on my own and I often have my clients and those who take my course also journal themselves. So Many people are quick to judge the practice of journaling as, you know, too touchy-feely and and therefore a waste of time. Perhaps you can help us to first understand what journaling will do once we commit to the process. Jim and I will unpack that after this short message. Hang tight. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer? We need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization 
So check it out. I'm taking calls right now, and I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on virtual training. Okay, we're back. Jim, talk about the journaling workbook that comes with the book and how will that benefit leaders? We worked with hundreds and hundreds of world-class athletes. We, we took 17 people to number one in the world. And it's a very interesting population of people. And so we were always searching for things that would help these extraordinary performers go and take, take it another notch. What are the things that actually make a difference? We were always in the research looking for any performance-enhancing strategy. I was at the Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy for six years, and I collected, I still have boxes of data that we collected on, you know, I used a lot of telemetry on everything from breathing to eye control to, to private voice, what they were saying to themselves, their body language, the way they walk, the way they carry themselves. And we started tabulating that. We looked at heart rate data. What we found was that every athlete who's serious has a training log. And those that actually keep track of that training log and a great coach actually is looking at that and actually registering their concerns or adding on or whatever. And so we began to look at things like visualization, things like mental practice and all these you know, various tools that have been out there and contrasting that with what we might call a journaling activity where we actually had the athletes write with their hand in cursive writing what they wanted to have happen, let's say, with their forehand. Truth is, and, the, and there were certain things they had to articulate. The first thing, my forehand is not what I want. But the point being, I, I really believe at some point I will have one of the best forehands in the game. It will be my strength one day because I'm willing to really put it forward. Every day I'm going to invest energy in getting my forehand right, or whether it's putting or whether it's kicking in soccer or you know, so on and so forth. And we contrasted the results. We began to realize something magical was happening when people use their hand and the connection between writing with their fingers and their executive function in their brain and their private voice, they were actually training their brain in a more direct way. Some people tend to use imagery better and visualization and so forth. But so many of the athletes we worked with benefited, like Dan Jansen and so many who did extraordinary things. They found tremendous value in regular daily journaling. So we took that into all these, from special forces to executives in, in the world of business to surgeons, surgical teams. And uh, what this book represents is a scripted journal that actually starts every single day, having you for 10 minutes a day with your hand, actually writing out some of the most important answers to the questions of life that will ultimately begin to feed those muscles of character directly your energy because you're giving energy to something when you are writing. And somehow, I can't give you exactly the neuropsychology behind it, 
but we've got the best results when people journaled on a regular basis and were really making that journal not so much an opportunity to, to complain or to gripe, or, but really aspirational. What is it you want? Who do you want to be? How do you want your private voice to speak to you? What are the things that matter most to you? What are your core values? How do you want to treat others? How do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done at the end of your life? Those had powerful impacts on their ability to live the life they wanted to live and to move forward. Okay, that's fascinating. So what you're saying is that by journaling, you're actually building your character muscle. Is that what I'm hearing? A hundred percent. I want to give the listeners, I'm holding the personal credo journal, which is the companion to uh, leading with character. And just to give you an idea, for example, day eight, here's some questions that Jim is asking in, in this journaling process, right? List eight words that most accurately describe you at your best and when you are most proud of yourself. And then he follows up on day nine with list eight words that most accurately describe you at your worst when you are least proud of yourself. Day 10, write about your best moral self and character. Give real life examples of when you have been most proud of yourself by demonstrating traits such as courage, integrity, honesty, empathy, kindness, and so on. One of the most important exercises that we learned, we did two things, and I'd love to have your listeners actually just reflect on these. Let's just say we have you write down for a moment the six words that describe you, or eight, when you're most proud, when you really feel this is the best version of yourself. And it happens occasionally. It's not a fantasy. Sometimes you actually step into that space, and you are the best version possible of yourself. Write those six words down. We had people do that, and then in the groups that we had, we'd actually ask them to read those out loud, and the audience completely freaked out. Everyone thought they copied from one another <laughs> because the similarity in the answers was startling. Almost non-existent were things like when I'm winning, when I'm dominating, when I am uh, achieving great things, and I, it just almost never happened. And then we asked them to do six words that would be inscribed on their tombstone at the end of their life, if they truly reflected who they were while they were here, what six words would you choose or eight? And so they did that. And then again, we asked people to read out loud those words and everyone freaked out again because they went, oh my goodness, how is it that we all are so similar in terms of how we want to be remembered and who we are at our best? Because the two were very closely connected. And the link was always their connection to other people. And that led us to this understanding that there is a scorecard that we're all using that we don't even know that really so often people feel unfulfilled in their achievements, but when they get the scorecard that matters most, and that's their treatment of others, kind, loving, particularly those people, compassionate and empathy that matter most to them, something magical happens. That's where I call that hidden scorecard. And I think it goes back in evolutionary history that those who didn't care for others, who were outcast, evolutionary psychology, where we began to realize we are social creatures. And if we care for others, they will care for us when we need them. And somehow, those that kind of were cast out and went out and did their own thing and treated people badly, they didn't survive. So there's a, a powerful force to get us to work together, to care about others, to take care of others, and to reach out and be there when people need you. It was very big insight for us, and I think it helped us to understand the importance of character, moral, and ethical. 
Yeah, this is fascinating to me. You know, you were on the, the Tim Ferriss podcast not too long ago, and this is kind of how I, I heard for the first time about that hidden scorecard, because like you said, you've worked with all of these number one uh, world-class athletes. You've mentioned already a few of them, and you worked with Jim Courier, who is a number one player in the, in the world in tennis, Dan Jensen, who uh, won an Olympic gold medal. And, you know, all these people became number one, right? Like you said, through grit and focus and determination and drive. But when they reached the top, there was like that still that something missing. And there was a huge hole there that, that still needed to be filled because they weren't measuring themselves by that hidden scorecard, right? It's that connection. It's those altruistic behaviors that when at the end of the road, man, it's what we want to be remembered for, right? What was our impact in the world of two other people? So yeah, I appreciate that. I don't know if you want to expand on that. Another very interesting kind of little test, and you, you were asked to do this in the workbook, in the journal, but I ask people to make a choice between these two headstones. This, you are gone, and you have the choice of designing what you want on that tombstone. And you get to put your most extraordinary accomplishments on one, all of them on this tombstone. They get to list all of their achievements. They were number one in the world for six years. They made $40 million. They were in executive world. They got their MBA from Harvard, and they were Medal of Honor in some aspect, or they have achieved some great accomplishment. They've climbed four of the highest mountains on planet Earth, on and on. Or they have another, they can't have them both. What would it, which is the one they'd most prefer to have? And the other one is really your connection to others. Was always generous, very inspirational, a real life hero, kind, always possessed integrity, was a great mother, great father a great gift to all of us who knew him or her. And when you put that together, you give them a choice. Virtually no one chooses, even when they think about it, they say, well, I'd like to have both. And you say, no, you must make a choice because one of those has to take priority. And the priority is how you treat other people. And it always comes out that way. So many of the people that I've had the chance to work with actually achieve this number one status. And some were very fulfilled because the way they did it they actually connected to people and they were very, very like Dan Jansen. He was an extraordinarily kind and generous and really uh, strong moral and ethical character. And his treatment of others was there. But others that I worked with, when they got to the top, they felt very empty, very alone and somehow incomplete. And then we went back and looked and it so often it was in that category. So the more we can get the scorecard right and understand what matters most and get the priorities right, something really happens that leads to fulfillment, sustained fulfillment, and the sense that, hey, I need to align my energy with what matters most and things usually work out. Yeah. So, Jim, we got so many executives that listen to this show. So I want you to speak directly to the CEO right now. How can you encourage the head of the company to value character more fully, not only in how he or she operates personally, but to infuse character into their work culture. One of the things that I would have a CEO think about and articulate, and it is how do they like to be treated when they are responding to a leader who's taking them somewhere? What are the things that they really value in a leader who's leading them? How hard is it to follow someone who is not very trusting or not very trustful, that doesn't really have any sense of caring or concern for 
who you are as a human being. When you go through tough times, they show no compassion or no empathy for how tough your life, you lost a loved one, or you had some sicknesses, you had someone in your family die of, you know, the pandemic or whatever, tragically. What is it that you most admire in those people who led you and that you were the most eager to follow? And right away, you begin to realize that leadership is not just competencies and you know, business acumen and all the things that we tend to think of, you're great with numbers, great with even motivation. Some leaders are unbelievably powerful motivators. They can get people to almost jump through hoops because they get them fired up. But when you think about a leader, I think about my basketball coach when I was in high school at a time when I really, really needed, you know, something to give me confidence in myself. And I had a coach, his name was Guy Gibbs. And I felt that this guy really cared about me as a person and saw something in me that was really something uh, quite special. And that, that belief, I would follow him anywhere. I felt like he cared about me and I cared so much that I wanted to return it in a way that I would give my best no matter what. So those early lessons in my life help me understand what it takes to be a leader. And a leader has to be strong. They have to be tough-minded. They have to make tough decisions. They have to be what I would call very mentally tough. But they also have to be balanced with what I believe are the most important competencies that a leader possesses. And that's their ability to be honest, to be trustworthy, to be authentic, to always have integrity, and to be compassionate and caring regardless of how tough the environment is. In fact, the tougher it gets, the more you need to show that you understand what your people are going through. And if you do that and make the tough decisions, you're going to have a company that actually rallies behind you and gives you the most important resource that they have to give. And that's their energy and effort to make the company work. Mm, I love it. So well stated. Jim, as we come to a close here, I want to make the link between leadership and practical love. I mean, this whole episode, we've been talking about practical love. And this is the whole reason why we call this show Love in Action. L love being an action verb that inspires and empowers people to flourish. And which leads to results. That's the business yes. case for Love in Action. And that's something that very few people in positions of power truly understand. So how does a leader specifically love well in business day in and day out? I would just put it this way care about your people more than the results, and they will do everything that they humanly can to make your business work. Caring for others is an active process. It's so much easier just to keep all those emotions, you know, locked up and you just do what you need to do. But a real leader who understands leadership at the core, cares about the people, loves them in that sense, loves them because of what they are doing, they're making so many sacrifices, giving their energy, their energy to this business, which is the life of this business. They take energy from their bodies and give it to the business. They take it away and they give it. Yeah, they get exchanged. In exchange, they get money and privileges, but they give life to your business. Without your employees, you have nothing. And it's their energy that actually brings to life any potential the business has. So the more you care about them and the sacrifices they're making, 
the more likely they are to infuse energy from their bodies into your business. And that way, it's a win for everyone. It's an active process. It's not a passive process. And it's hard work. And it's worth the price anyone has to pay. Because in the end, that's all that matters. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I keep hammering the point to all my clients that when you take care of people and you love them well, it releases discretionary effort across the organization, which leads to business outcomes, of course. So, Jim, I want to, gosh, this is this has been such a rich episode and we bring it home. Unfortunately, I wish I could talk to you for another hour, but we bring it home with two final questions that I always ask my guests. And personally, the first question is, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? You know, it's interesting. I feel very fortunate to have had the experiences that I've had, to have been inside the lives of so many extraordinary people and be able to see the world because I didn't start with these understandings. I guess what's tugging at me is I really wish more people could have had the same opportunities I've had so they can see. For me, it's so clear, but when you hear a podcast or you hear someone talk about it, it may not really resonate at a very deep level. But for me, it's the core of how I see the world. And what tugs at me is I I kind of wish somehow that people, I'm doing everything I can to give them what I've been so fortunate to get. And I wish more people could have had the experiences I've had because I think we'd end up sharing this extraordinary commitment to the way in which we treat other people. From the valet attendant to the waitress who brought the wrong food, you realize that that's how we actually are going to you know, hold ourselves accountable for who we were when we were here. And that is more important than any other consideration. And that's kind of what's tugging at me right now. Okay, Jim. So we wrap up the episode your way with one final takeaway that you would like to uh, bring us home with. What would that be? I would just simply say you can take the easier road or you can take the harder road. The harder road will pay the greatest dividends. And what this journal and this book is all about, Leading with Character, is not for the faint of heart. This is actually hard work. And it's 150 days of 10 minutes a day of putting your best on paper. And you've started a process that will never end. This just gives you an idea of the value that will come to you from this kind of work. 10 minutes seems like a long time, but when you really realize it's 25 hours and the the richness that can be... uh, The result of this, I think you'll never regret it, but it's hard work and I'm just going to ask you to stay with it. (laughs) That's great. Well, it's been a true pleasure and a treat to talk to you today. Thank you very much. I wish you the best. And as we uh, leave today, I want you to give out your website address for anyone that wants to contact you and connect with you. Where can they go? They can go to uh, jim-lair, L-O-E-H-R.com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn site there, Dr. Jim Lair. You can get it there. You can get me either place, but I'm anxious to get feedback. And I hope there is some value here for all of you. I appreciate the time, Marcel, from you and from your listeners. Thank you. Stick around for my three action steps, three things that I will personally recommend you start doing today based on the teachings of this episode. And that's coming up next.
Hope you enjoyed that conversation. And here are your three action steps for today's episode. Try these and let me know whether they're making a change in how you lead or work. Jim has what he calls character call-outs. These are character traits that we hope to aspire to use and also to get our team members to also demonstrate day in and day out. So I chose three. Action step number one is based around the, the character trait of moral integrity. Here's what I want you to do is to get your team together and ask these questions for discussion. Discuss what integrity means to your team and to your company and explore how moral integrity is demonstrated by team members. You want to make sure that you ask for concrete examples. The second character trait that you want to have a discussion around, so this is your action item number two, is around self-control and willpower. And here's the question you want to ask of your team members. Encourage team members to provide examples of where they resisted impulses to act or say things that were not in the best interest of the business, you know, either with external clients or with fellow team members. So that's your action item number two, based on self-control and willpower. And your last action item is based on the character trait of motivation. So get your team together and ask each team member to explain to the team what motivates him or her and how he or she stays motivated to do their work day after day. So those are your action items. My special thanks again to Jim Lair for joining us today and expanding our minds. If you'd like to join the conversation and comment on this episode, hashtag Love in Action Podcast will get you there. I'm going to be posting this episode on Twitter at Marcel Schwantes and on LinkedIn, Marcel Schwantes. You can follow the discussion there. Visit the archives on my website for other great conversations with the world's top thought leaders, and you can find them at MarcelSchwantes.com or Apple Podcast, or wherever you stream your podcast. Finally, if you or your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love in Action podcast, let's chat. Find me on my website or on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the Love in Action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.